day at the organ I was weary and ill at ease And my fingers wandered idly Over the noisy keys I know not what I was playing Hello, and welcome back to the American Writers 100 Pages of Time podcast. So I want to finish up my thoughts about The American by, by Henry James, uh, written first, I want to say 77, 78, uh, 1877 or 1878, somewhere around there. Um, this is one of his stronger early novels, I think. it's For me, it's the strongest of the, of the five. The last two... The Europeans and the confident in confidence. The ones we're going to look at are just more kind of cute little comedic romances. They don't kind of have the they don't pack the punch that I think the American does or Roger Clunchin, you know, tries to pack a punch. But there's other issues with that not novel that make it a little less satisfying. It's mostly in the characters' development. Uh, what I like about the American is the clear development in our main character. And sort of everything's sort of set up for the the climax at this point. That, <coughs> excuse me, um, Christopher Newman has courted this uh, this young younger European aristocratic widow. She's he's gotten he, what he thinks is approval from the family to go forth with this marriage. Um, and but we just left off at this like ball, and this ball basically exposed him. This party exposed him as uh, ultimately not someone who's going to be able to fit into this aristocratic family. Someone who's not going to have the right bloodlines, right? There's this great contrast between this other suitor the family's trying to bring in, this English aristocrat named Lord Deepmere. And he's kind of ugly and kind of a gross guy and, and he hangs out with prostitutes, we find out later on. But he's... He's got the right blood, right? But everything else about him is bad. And then, like, Christopher Newman, despite his flaws, which he has, he kind of, he overcomes many of them, I think. Uh, he's honorable. He's a good guy. He's trustworthy. He, he, he fulfills his word. Uh, he's got money. He just doesn't have the bloodline, right? Um, so it's, it's, it's a kind of a, it's very interesting. It's, it's like a cross-class marriage, but he's actually, it seems to have more money than even this, Belgrade family that he's trying to marry into. It's just that they have they, they hold their title and their blood and their reputation in such high prestige that they, they can't accept him. So that's that's kind of where we pick up uh, in the last third or a little bit more of the novel. This covers a little bit more than 100 pages, but you know, rarely do the novels break up into easy 100-page you know, segments as much as I, I wish they would. Um, so... Uh, yeah, we just left off at a ball. We kind of pick up again. Everything still seems to be okay, but behind the scenes, we we know things are already starting to break down. Um, if they go to the opera. Um, he goes to the opera with uh, Valentin, and he goes to I think he goes to the opera with the Belgrades, and and he sees Valentin Bel- Belgrade, the younger son, who he's good friends with and has been supportive. Who's been supportive of his effort to marry his sister, and he sees him with uh, Naomi, who's this essentially a gold digger that we met very early in the novel. She's actually the first uh, 
person we see Newman interact with in a significant way. She paint, copies portraits at the Louvre, but she spends a lot of her time which is basically living with rich, richer men for the for the money. Um, now, there's a little bit of drama here about uh, how you know she's being treated and things. And anyways, there's a there's a conflict. So Valentin is is with Naomi, and Naomi's has this relationship with this other man, right? So there's a there's some drama about these two men basically it's like a little love triangle but it's over a a woman who you know neither of them are going to marry even valentin says that this was kind of a sordid affair he got mixed up in but anyways it leads to a duel and here's where really naomi if gets exposed as kind of an outrageous and kind of horrible character in some ways is that she's actually glad for the duel she's happy for it because it will um, kind of promote herself and it'll make her sort of famous and, and it'll be good for her reputation, even though it means that one of the two men could very likely die. Uh, I think the game, guy's name is like Stanilas is the one is the other man in this uh, little triangle. Now, Newman, he's a practical American. And of course, Americans still dueled in the 19th century, but by the after the Civil War, it died out. It didn't be it wasn't a, you know, it wasn't really legal. Or very common anymore. So he just tries to stop the duel. As, first of all, it's stupid to fight over this woman. And who's not, it's not like it's a wife or, or sister or something. And second, he kind of thinks the whole tradition of dueling is kind of barbaric. But Valentin's just like, well, this is kind of what we have to do. This is the way it works. Um, and he actually hides this noose from Madame de Santra, this, his fiancée at this point. Um but she does sort of predict that Valentin's going to come to a bad end. So she's got a little bit of psychic power. She shines a little bit in this, this chapter. Um, now, another thing that happens in this opera chapter, <clears throat> besides setting up this duel that's going to be so important for the climax of the novel, is the more culture clash, right? Like, uh, I love when they're talking about Don Giovanni and Mozart, and, and they're just like, it's like they saw a rerun of Seinfeld, essentially. That's what it means to them. They, they've seen Don Giovanni so much, they don't really think much of it. They don't appreciate it. Uh, Newman's kind of blown away. But he also, when he interprets it, he interprets like Zerlina and uh, Madame Elvira with the women in his life, right? He makes a very visceral, personal interpretation of it. It's not very highbrow. Remember, he's not an educated guy, really. He's just a... Uh, just the guy, I'm not sure if he understands Italian. I'm not sure. I don't know what they did in those days before subtitles for opera. I think you just had to know the story or whatever if you went and didn't know Italian or German or whatever language the opera was in. <clears throat> but it was like just it was a nice little culture clash there as well, something that's a common theme of this, this book. I, I think of these five novels, he does the culture clash best in The American. The Europeans, which is all about that, is it's just such a kind of preposterous novel, and it's just people sitting around talking. I'll talk about this in the next episode. I'm getting ahead of myself. Um, all right. So chapter 18 is this crucial chapter where everything kind of begins to fall apart for Newman. Uh, he he arrives to the Belgrades again early one day to see, and he arrives too early, earlier than he normally arrives, and Sandra's packing, and she's leaving. And she was going to leave before she, he comes by. That was the plan. So it was supposed to be she just vanishes. But he came early, so he got a chance to talk to her. And she just says, I can't, she can't marry Newman. That's what he's told. 
and that she's going off to live in a convent. Um, and he's been warned of this throughout. He's been warned by the family. He's been warned by Valentin. And he's been warned by by Desantra, like Madame Desantra as well. This widow, where she says, like, I'm not a brave person. I'm a coward. I kind of do what my family asked me to do. She's been telling him this. And he confronts the Duke. Because the Duke, or the Marquise, keep forgetting. Marquise or Duke. Uh, whatever. She goes to confront him. And let's call him the Duke. She confronts him. He confronts him. And says, hey, you said you weren't going to interfere. And he's like, yeah, we didn't interfere. We just commanded that she not marry you. It wasn't even an issue of... it's it, For them, it, I guess it's kind of a loophole. I mean, that's how Newman sees it. Newman sees it as a really odious loophole. But from their view, like interference and command are separate things. And she's got a duty to honor her family's wishes. And she does. Uh, this woman does show her obedience. And it's, it's a very simple question. From their point of view, for Newman, though, he feels betrayed. He feels he invested all this time. He's got this love for her. He plans to marry her. And he's not so easy to give up. So here's our final tension for the rest of the novel. It's established in his, what to what ends will he go? To what lengths will he go to try to win back this this woman? Um, now, he goes, goes home later after this disappointing day and he gets a note which call from Valentin and Valentin says I'm ill and dying it's a, it's a very polite uh, subtle way to say he's been like fatally shot in a duel uh, but he just says he's ill and dying come up to see him he's in Switzerland so he has to take the train all the way to Switzerland to see him um, now meanwhile like the the family wants Madame de Santre to marry Deepmere um they're offended essentially by Newman's commercial background. And they tell him straight up. It's like, you're a commercial man. We can't have someone. It reminds me so much of like kind of an inverted form of separate spheres. Because in in America, you have the separate spheres idea that commerce is dirty. And politics is kind of dirty and gross. But that's why it's the realm of men. Right? And women are the home. They're purity. And so that's the foundation of separate spheres. Right? But... Here, it's like this idea that aristocrats can't get involved in commerce because it's kind of dirty, right? And th this actually has huge historical significance, this cultural reactionary element of the aristocracy, is that they couldn't enter into the modern age. It's why so many of them, I think, went to fight World War I. It's because it's like, at least then they could be aristocrats. But in the modern age, where all the wealth in industry and commerce, the aristocracy couldn't move its way in. They were just landowners, and that landowners, you know, what, 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 land wasn't as profitable. It wasn't what it once was, <clears throat> you know, in the Middle Ages. So uh, that's an element of it. But so much of this is really about Newman's honor. He, he was honorable throughout this whole process. He did everything right. He f fulfilled all of her wishes in, a, in an upfront way. But the Belgrades, they're, they, they, they're presented as kind of conniving and nasty, right? This, this kind of European aristocratic uh, selfishness and capriciousness and, and, and overemphasis on, on the image. Um, and it, it threatens to ruin this guy's life. It could have been, right? Uh, now, the novel ends up fairly optimistic, at least about uh, Newman. But not the real victim here is Madame de Santra. She's the one who ends up the most miserable of anyone. Okay. 
Anyways, uh, chapter 19, we see him going off to Switzerland to see Valentin. He's wounded, dying, right? More honor. Uh, now we get the story of the duel. Stanilis, the guy he was fighting, I think the first shots missed, and then they agreed to... A, now, usually that's like enough for the duel, right? I think that's how a lot of these duels went, is both sides would miss on purpose, honor would be satisfied, everyone would go home, right? And, and to the outside world, it looks like it was an honorable duel. Uh, but in this case, they asked for a second shot, which I guess is something that could be agreed to. And of course, Valentin agrees because he has to. And he grazes the other guy's arm, but he shoots him like Valentin. It's like the Alexander Hamilton, Aaron Burr kind of situation. So he's dying. He's going to die. <laughs> it's just going to take a long time of a long period of misery of, of dying. So that's why he calls Newman. He doesn't want to really tell the family. So the family is not fully in the know about what this is about because partially because the reason he was in a duel has to do with him flirting and having a relationship with a girl who's essentially a prostitute. <laughs> uh, so he's dying and he takes a long time to die, a whole chapter. We just get to watch him die and they talk about things and he tells the story of what happened with Madame de Santra. He's not surprised. He's kind of like, yeah, it's kind of what you had to expect. Sucks, but that's my family. But then he says, you know, if you really want to get back at my family, you know, talk to Mrs. Bread, the servant. So Mrs. Bread is the servant that his brother's wife brought over from England, this old woman. And she's the one who's been warning him, telling him, like, get, get her out. Uh, we don't want her, you know, get her out, get her to America, get her out of this family. So he's like, go talk to her. There's a secret. And she knows it or she knows something of it. So if you go find out that secret, you can then, you have some weapon you can use against my family. I'm, I'm, I'm on the way out. I'm checking out. I don't care. Fuck up my family. You know, they're kind of assholes anyways. So I, I, Valentin's end is kind of heroic here in a way. I, I really enjoyed it. Um, but we also see Newman's great love for his friend here. Uh, he cares little about honor in this situation. He only cares about her, his feelings. Valentin kind of does hold on to honor to some degree. It's just, it's just really tragic, and it's the, you know, how Newman is forced to suffer because of these stupid rules um, about, you know, about the duel or whatever. So, uh, Valentin dies. It's chapter 20. Valentin dies between chapters. Um, and eventually, the family's made aware of everything, and there's the funeral, and Newman sees Madame de Santra one more time at Valentin's funeral. Um, but he says, don't follow your, he's like, still has hope. He's like, just do what you want. You're a free person. I'll take you to America. You never have to see these assholes again. You know, you don't have to, it's cruel. If you love me, we'll get together and we can leave here and you'll have a comfortable life and, you know, really fuck these guys. Um, but, and he's got this impression that somehow they tortured her, manipulated her, or took advantage of her to get her to change her mind. But none of that actually happened. She was just, she's exactly as she said she was. She was an obedient servant of her family. She did what the family asked her to do. No big surprise there. Um, and she gets more details about what she's going to do. She's going to go to a convent. 
she's going to choose to reject the world rather than marry that Lord Deepmere. Um, escape is not possible in any, any other way except marriage. She's going to have to marry or join a convent. Those are the only options, only options for her. And I think this is a theme Henry James is interested in because he's brought it up already a few times in his novels. It's there in Watch and Ward. It's there in Roderick Hudson to a degree. It's, it's actually there in the Europeans to a certain degree as well. This is the idea of like, what are the options for women except marriage? If, if you don't like these novels, now they're always focusing on marriage and who's going to marry what and marrying up or marrying down or, you know, finding the right person or guys getting a little bit old, getting, getting into their 30s and wanting to find a marriage companion. I think this is drawn from life, though, at least for that class of people. So it's just, it's kind of how the world was, I guess. It's kind of disgusting as it is. Um, but the other, I think, pity here, and this is, I think, James being honest with himself and his character, is like, we end up not knowing as much about Madame de Santra as we would like. I think she's probably got a more interesting story. It's just we're not privy to it. And she doesn't really expose it. She ends up just being a tool of the family. So it's kind of kind of tragic. Maybe she is boring at the end of the day. Maybe she is what, what she appears to be, but I want to believe there's something more there. But she certainly doesn't have many options open to her. So her solution, go to the convent. Um, so he does kiss her, though. So this chapter ends with a kiss. It's the only time we see him any physical contact between these two characters. <clears throat> The peak of their relationship is at its last moments. So the last six chapters of the book deal with kind of this revenge plot. Finding out this secret, Valentin's secret, and then do I use it or not? Do I use this bomb, this weapon that I found against the Belgrades to get revenge? I guess he still has some hope for marriage, but, you know, it's probably not going to happen. Uh, so the first thing he does is he tries to meet again with the Belgrades. He doesn't move immediately to the secrets. He hopes to still negotiate him thinking it's just a matter of, of giving them what they want, but what they want is him gone. It seems is her is what they want is her not to marry a smelly American commercial guy who made his money from wash tubs. It's probably a symbol there. Um, but it turns out it's the Belgrades that are the dirty, gross ones. Um, he, now, he sees Mrs. Brown during this visit, and Madame de Santra's already gone. And she's very sympathetic with him. She wanted him to marry her. And he kind of says, like, all right, let's meet in the, let's meet in the parking lot, and we'll discuss Valentin's final words. Um, now they refuse. Now she finally does meet the Belgrades. This meeting, and they refuse to change positions for new men. And I think they're even more nasty in this meeting. Where they, this is where maybe they say it's like, "You're just you're just a commerce guy. Get out of here. You stink." Um, he threatens them, but he doesn't have proof, so they're kind of like taken aback by this. He's kind of like, "I know a secret." They're like, "All right, whatever. You know, get out of here." He doesn't have the proof, so he has to get the proof. Um. They actually do send him a letter, like a, like the formal written rejection letter. Uh, and they do maybe seem to fear him or worry a little bit, but they do still refuse to move. And I think that's the Belgrades do become interesting at the end and in how that they're, they're so intransigent on this point of of 
they're sister marrying this American, that they're willing to risk their family honor, really, and their family reputation. But I thought it was funny that they, they send this formal rejection note to him. Um, so anyways, chapter 22. Here we get our, our secret. The secret's revealed uh, through Mrs. Bread. Now, Mrs. Bread doesn't read French. I guess she must understand some French. But um, uh, First, she says how fearful she is, how disgusted she is by the Belgrades and how she wants out. And Newman's like, yeah, help me. I'll take you. I'll hire you. I'm I'm richer than these these uh, these assholes. I'll I'll give you. A, you can work for me. She's, you know, come to America. So she's like, yeah, I'm, I dig it. I'm down with that. And and then she says, okay, I'll tell you the story. Um. You know, even he even reminds her like your loyalty to Madame de Santra doesn't matter anymore. So you know, anything you say can't hurt her. She's in a convent. She's married to Christ now. Um, so basically, the story is the the mother, uh, Madame de Santra's mother, the Madame Belgrade, the old Madame de Belgrade, wanted her to marry this guy Santra, right? That's where her names come from, right? From her ex husband. So she wanted him to marry this uh, Duke or something, de Santra, um, Marquess, something. I guess these are good. I for, I, again, I forget these royal titles, these aristocratic titles. But the old duke refused this marriage. He wanted her to marry someone maybe younger. He seemed a little bit more sympathetic to her wishes and didn't want to dump her on some old gross guy. So he's a little bit more liberal. Maybe Valentin gets some of his more liberality from his father. Um, and when the duke refuses, she wants this money. She wants this to marry into this wealth. Now, actually, the story about the wealth is get, they get into it early in the novel that, that it turns out the wealth that came in ended up being wasted on lawyers after his death because there was a problem with the estate and the will and there was litigation and basically they didn't get anything from this. So this marriage turned out to be a big bust for the family in financial terms. And of course, that meant Madame de Sancho was in burden with this divorce or this no, or the former marriage anyways. Not a deal breaker, obviously, for for a remarriage, but uh, um, you know, part it's part of her story at that point. It was for kind of for nothing, but anyway, she poisons him. Uh, she poisons her husband uh, to get him out of the way so she can arrange this marriage. Um, but she doesn't have uh, any real evidence. She just heard from the old duke. But she has this note, this note that was written by the, the Duke. And she has it, but it's in French. So his name was Henri Urbain. Urbain is his son's name, too. So he gets it from his son. Here's the note. He has to, go, he has to take the note and translate it, right? Because um, he's got enough French to translate this. But Mrs. Bread doesn't. And this is the note. My wife has tried to kill me, and she has done it. I'm dying, dying horribly. It is to marry my dear daughter to Monsieur de Centre. With all of my soul, I protest. I forbid it. I'm not insane. Ask the doctors. Ask Mrs. Bread. It was alone with me here tonight. She attacked me and put me to death. It's murder, if murder ever was. Ask the doctors. Henri Urbain de Belgrade. Now, this note is kind of preposterous. It's, it's like... It's almost like, you know, he's writing as he's dying. <laughs> you know? 
It's like there's evidence hidden, you know, talk to this person. It's it's kind of preposterous in a way. And then this note survives all these years. I guess it's not that many years, uh, you know, five, ten years or something. But she keeps the note secret. But the note itself sounds like it's something he's writing as he's dying, right? She killed me. It's like a mystery, murder mystery where there's a note on it on, on the guy's clothes. It's like, oh, the butler killed me. <laughs> but I guess it works for the story. It's the evidence that otherwise wouldn't exist. If this was a modern, more modern story, there may be other ways. Maybe you could find evidence, but here we have it. Suspend um, your disbelief a little bit. So next chapter, 23, he, he starts to plan revenge. He, he hires Mrs. Bread. That's the first step. And um, Bread reports on, uh, to him. She, he, she keeps contact with Madame de Santra in the convent. Reports on how bad conditions are there basically asks for help maybe in doing that and you know newman still cares for her and wants to help her but he knows his solution is basically to marry her right so he needs the belgrades to back down on their prohibition and get madame de Santra to the degree um the belgrades though don't want mrs bread to leave because they know she knows something i think so they they kind of want to keep her close but she just leaves to work for newman uh, so he, he plans to go see Santra at the convent, and we just see growing, growing disgust in his mind over the Belgrade's behavior. So then we get to chapter 24, which I think is the climax of the novel, uh, which is the confrontation at the convent. So he goes to see his former fiance, and he sees the horrible conditions of the convent, which is kind of an interesting thing. You often think of the convents maybe more neutrally, I don't know, it, maybe on your religious background but you know i always have this impression of them kind of neutrally like maybe not comfortable maybe sparse and, and kind of cold maybe but maybe not horrible conditions right but these conditions described here really are bad i mean they're kind of inhuman in, in a way and she's really it's, it's like they're like like prisons and the, the food's not good and the, it's hard labor it's it's really a really we see the cost of this decision to to not marry Lord Deepmere and the, the impact of this family's decision to not let her marry Newman, what it had on her personally. So we see this convent and uh, they're also there to visit the Belgrades. So he's got this moment at this, uh, it's kind of contrived. It's, there's some artifice involved here in the structure of the novel, but we get this climax. We get this confrontation between the two families, between Newman and the family anyways. And I think it's, Two generations of the Belgrades are there, Belgards. Um, he shows him the copy of the note. He doesn't give him the note. He makes the copy of the note. He says, this is the note that I have. I have the original. And they say, he, say, he says, I'm going to show this around to all your friends. I'm going to show it to all the other rich people, and then they're going to know what assholes you are. It's going to ruin your family honor. Um, and they're like, okay, whatever. They take the copy of the note, and they go to think about it. Um, but they're still pretty pissed off about him and, and upset. They contact him later and say, yeah, I think this is true. <laughs> you, you got us. Um, and they say, okay, here's our offer to you. It's really interesting. He says, this is our offer to you. Uh, I offer you to protect the reputation of this woman you claim to love by not showing the letter and not telling the story to anyone. 
And he says, his, and again, his response is so fascinating because they don't offer him anything. That's not even money. They don't even try to bribe him. They don't say, like, here, have some money because he's got more money than them. It's not like he's, they got much he wants. He only wants this marriage. And he says, oh, you, I thought you thought we, us Americans weren't honorable. We you know, had no honor. Why would I care about your family honor and do the right thing if, if I'm just a piece of shit American? He says, and the Belgrades are kind of shocked by this. They're actually kind of amazed that he responds this way. So they, they kind of say, like, what do you want? He's like, I want to marry her. And then he, he kind of freaks out and says, no, never. I'll never let you marry her. Right. And they refuse. So that's that's the end of that. Uh, chapter 25. I love chapter 24, by the way. It's a really fun one. Um, it's just uh, push to the brink. The Belgards don't budge on this. That's how much they don't want an American in their family. Um, someone in a cross-cultural marriage, I think it's something I think about sometimes. Um now, in the next chapter, we find Newman not moving on the Belgrades. He sits on this letter. Um, he ends up like meeting with, uh, talking with like this Grand Duchess. He does talk to people that are in that circle of friends, the kind of people he threatened to reveal stuff to. But he doesn't move on the Belgards. He doesn't, take, you know, expose them. He goes to... Uh, Settle things with his friend, the Tristrams. And they're the ones who originally set up this marriage. So they know what's going on. Or set up this meet. This cute meet cute that led to this whole plot of the story. Uh, and they s- kind of say, yeah, we didn't think it was going to work. Mrs. Tristram kind of says, it would have been fun. It would have been cool if it happened. But yeah, you probably wouldn't have had much chance. So he says, yeah, screw, screw Paris. Going to go to London. So he goes to London. And this is, again, very a lot of artifice involved at the end. It's just He's trying to wrap everything up. But he goes to London, and while he's there, he sees Naomi. And sees uh, Monsieur uh, Nioche. And she's with this Lord Deepmere. Remember this Lord Deepmere, the one who was going to marry uh, Madame de Santra? He's with Naomi. And we know who Naomi is. We know she's a bit of a gold digger and a bit of a, a prostitute. And this just totally disgusts uh, Newman entirely. You know, first he's pissed off at her because she basically is responsible for Valentin's death, the death of his good friend. Um, so it's a really interesting. He starts out finding her an interesting woman. By the end of the novel, he, he really despises her. He still has affection for her father, but her father's just at wit's end. He needs the money that she brings in, but she's he's basically becoming a bit of her pimp. It's a pretty, pretty sad story. She's basically become a prosperous prostitute um, by this point in the story. Um, chapter 26. So Newman maintains his honor. He doesn't move on the Belgrades. He does decide not to. Uh, he goes around, visits the U.S. He returns to the U.S., uh, he does go back to check on Madame de Santra and finds out she's gone to another convent, which apparently is even worse. Uh, the conditions are even worse there. Um, he, he starts to feel more and more ashamed of himself for the feelings of revenge that he tried to 
pursue and meets with the Tristams. I think it's Mrs. Tristam and he burns the note. That's the end of the story. He, that's the final conclusion of the novel is him burning this note, putting the end any chance he has to inflict revenge on the Belgrades. And he does the good thing. And, and presumably he returns to America and continues living his life. You don't get too much of a, 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 a half the way ever after the way we do with um, Roger Hudson for the character, the surviving character. Anyways, we get kind of what happens to him back in America. But that's it. That's the story. I, I this novel really grew on me. I have to say, I like it. Um, I think it's got a really wonderful character arc for our main character, how he develops as a. As someone who's kind of aimless to someone who has a bit of purpose and, and a quest, if you will, in, in Europe. And although that fails, he, he, he does so in a way that maintains his honor, right? And we, we see this shift also in the, the perception of the Belgrades. Who they, we start out, it's all about the awe, the aristocracy, the, the glamour of it all, uh, the beauty of it all. And by the end, they're pretty petty, disgusting little people. And that's uh, how we are meant to feel about them, right? Same thing happens with Naomi's arc, right? Or Valentin, he's kind of a good guy throughout, but he also has this this very interesting side story that leads to his his death. I think these characters and our perceptions of them change so much. That's what keeps this novel kind of exciting uh, and ener- energetic, energizing in a way. I thought Roger Hudson... Like, Roderick Hudson just didn't change enough. He was just kind of mopey the whole novel. And that mopiness led to his death. I, I mean, I kind of really early on thought he was going to kill himself just because he seemed such a... It seemed like a, a musical biopic. It's like, you know, oh, that guy's he's going to die or he's going to get... He's going to be on drugs. He's going to break up with, you know... You just kind of know from the trope, I guess. <clears throat> So, anyways, but I like the Americans. The American, sorry. The American. Good novel. Um, So, following this, to finish up this series, we'll have three more episodes covering two novels. Um, I guess they're about equal length. I think The Europeans is about 160 or 150, and and The Confidence is 200. So, these are both really short. Not quite novellas. Not quite full-length novels. They're short novels. That's what we'll call them. But I guess the Europeans are shorter, so we'll do that in one episode. And then we'll take a couple episodes to look at confidence and finish up this series on, on Henry James's writings. So um, I've read both of these already. So they're, they're similar novels in that they're both more fun, playful um, comedies. They both deal with the culture clash between America and Europe. So if that's a boring topic for you. You know, you can skip the next few episodes, I guess. But, you know, I'm not sure there's too many people out on podcasts talking about these novels. I, there's some James specialists out there. But, you know, as far as I know, they're not spending their time doing podcasts. So it's, you got to leave it to me. So I might, you know, maybe I'll be making a contribution by talking about some of these novels. I don't know. But I don't know if it's on many college reading lists, any of these. Maybe The American. But confidence, I never heard of this before I picked up this book. Anyways, that's what's up next. 
the Americans. It'll be a short episode. I'll just I'll just talk about it in general terms. There's not much to say really. But a few interesting things to, to maybe mention. So that's going to be all for now. Uh, let me know what you think of Henry James and especially these novels, uh, uh, The American or Roger Hudson or Watch and Ward. Give me your thoughts. Send me an email at 100pagescast at gmail.com. I'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. Like love overcoming strife It seemed the harmony